Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend, Episode 71. Eight hours after the Queen of Cheliacs took her, Carissa Sevar gets a teleport to the fortress, which is the new home of Project Lawful, and goes to the temple to check in. The plan is for her to return to Keltham while still a little fragile. It's good for him to know what that looks like, and less costly than keeping her away from him for what might be the entire next day. But she really, really wants a situation report first, so she can stop feeling like nothing is quite entirely real, and so she can get a precious rundown on what Keltham thought about in the Grand High Priestess's hearing. She just spent several hours napping, but she still looks fairly exhausted, and something a little deeper than exhausted. She is carrying a dagger, because in hindsight she really should have one, and dressed like the heir to a county. How's my Keltham? My Keltham what? What did the queen do to her? Brainwash her into Keltham's sex slave or mistress or abyss knows what, so long as she had an extra three minutes. Usual condition, Mayol replies, Aspexia only has limited detect thoughts per day that use her caster level. She hasn't been constantly reading Keltham the way the queen can. No Keltham behaviors merited emergency checks. Occasional spaced spot checks didn't turn up much of interest, besides an advance read on everything obvious Keltham thought, to try with metalworking. If Carissa is trying to scan the full transcripts, she'll see that Keltham is thinking he should maybe try dating Meritzel next, rather than any of the complicated girls, but isn't quite sure that his brain will actually do that if he's no longer aromantic. Also, the earliest morning transcript shows Keltham repeatedly reminding himself that Carissa will be all right, and that he will not receive any new info about this until later. I can work with that. My plan is to go find him and probably spend the afternoon with him, then authorize lies for Ione, Asmodia, and Pilar. I want a telepathic bond with you, ideally tomorrow, so we can coordinate even when I'm occupied. Also, I am fourth circle now and would like the chance to copy some spells off security. You know what's really, really, really fucking annoying in Cheliacs? People who bear up much better than you under torture. Also, wizards in general. Copying spells will be arranged, telepathic bond arranged. I have noted your intended whereabouts. I will not move ahead on returning our extra students until you tell me you're ready for project responsibility handoff. And either that looks accurate to me, or I'm overruled by High Priestess Subirox about your readiness to return to duty. Please confirm that's acceptable. It is not actually easy to remember that this is now his boss. That's acceptable. Abby... Her Imperial Magistrix thinks I lack common sense on this front, and with that in mind, I'll consult High Priestess Subirox before I say I'm ready. No shit. Acknowledged. And that's High Priestess Jacinth Subirox, Seventh Circle. Mayol says, just in case somebody didn't actually mention that part to her. He goes to a map temporarily pinned to a wall until everybody learns the fortress— and points out where they are and the paths to Carissa's new supervisor, to her bedroom, and to Keltham's bedroom. 
I suggest that I have somebody else notify Keltham you're waiting for him in his bedroom or yours. He's presently in the library study hall. I'll wait for him in his, and someone can tell him so now. So he doesn't wonder if he's not supposed to bother her or something. She heads off, still looking mostly content, if slightly haunted, down the indicated path. Keltham will stride about as fast as he can without running as soon as anybody tells him. He'll slow down before he gets to his bedroom. He's not to suddenly burst in, looking out of breath. It has been impressed on Keltham with a few smiling but rather stern words from Aspexia Rugatone that it is his place now to hug Carissa, not pester her about anything she doesn't seem to want to talk about, and in particular not to demand lots of reassurances about how fine she is or ask for lots of details on how she isn't until she seems to be fully her previous self. Yes, even if Carissa says otherwise, and that he should do what he wants and pester her, Keltham is allowed to ignore her on this particular occasion, though after that, he should go back to believing her again. No Aspexia is not going to explain what axioms derive those conclusions. She's busy, asks Carissa a day or two later. Carissa is sitting on Keltham's floor near the fire, playing with her dagger. She hasn't decided how to enchant it yet, but she's going to do something incredibly cool. Sharp kitchen knives are in fact one of the most convenient ways to hurt yourself or somebody else, if you want to hurt somebody including yourself, and you are not in a good mental state to figure out any more optimal ways of causing damage. Stabbed with a kitchen knife is very much an archetypal worst-in-category thing such that it actually happened to one person you know, though not yourself personally. Keltham doesn't smile at her. That would be lying. He's got healing. They've got resurrections. It wouldn't be an actual emergency. Carissa, he says softly, instead of his usual hey of greeting. She sets it down, gently, and stands up. Keltham, she says back, and then shakes her head. I'm okay. I should qualify that. I feel okay. I feel really good. I don't feel normal, and, uh... Abrogale and the site manager both told me very sternly that I was not okay and possess no common sense, so I guess... I shouldn't say I'm okay with so much counter-evidence. But I feel okay. He does smile at that. It's what somebody should sound like if they had a huge thing happen to them, which was not actually catastrophic, and it totally upset lots of their internal equilibria, but didn't trash them so hard that it trashed all the meta-level processes, so they can still consider things like what other people told them. Snuggles are available for those who seek them, Keltham says and doesn't ask her at all about how her day went. Snuggles are sought. I want to tell you at some point, but not right now. I think once you have independent interest in two or three of the things that happened, and once I have been officially declared okay by nosy busybodies in the government. That's fine, Keltham murmurs near her ear. He's surprised, hearing those words from his mouth and then more surprised when he realizes that he actually meant them and doesn't need to say wrong thought and back up. I just need to know you're alive, and we'll be okay. I don't need to know why that's so. Want to, sure, need to, no. I am alive. I will be okay. That I feel incredibly confident about. I'm hoping for better than okay, really. I think I might feel safer, and I'm fourth circle. That's a good thing, and you get congratulations on it, right? Not that people leveling up and gaining powers when they have sex is an Aerolarp trope or anything. Does she literally have Eero X Pure? 
Yes, it's a good thing. It means I can cast more powerful spells. I am really tempted to say I am not going to shatter if you ask the one question you're clearly dying to. But I guess maybe I should consult a priest about that. It'll keep. A lot of questions do. In fact, they're exactly the same question a day later as right now. It's like food that never spoils. Okay. Anyway, I am very, very glad it happened. I don't want it to happen again for a little while. I might ever want something like that to happen to me again, but that doesn't mean you have to do it or find a picky, powerful person. I'm glad that you're glad. If you don't want it to happen again for a little while, we don't need to worry about any of that for a little while. Or I can go write it down somewhere to revisit in two weeks, if you're worried I'll otherwise forget about it completely, and your brain will otherwise keep nagging you to make sure it knows the issue won't get dropped. I'm not really worried about that. Should I be? No, Keltham says, instead of his more usual cautious don't think so that he almost said. You won't forget about it if it's a thing that's important to you. Okay. She snuggles him quietly for a little while. I really like you. Abigail thinks I am in love with you. I haven't been in love with anyone before, so I don't know how I would tell. Neither have I before. Got a spell for that, Detect Love? Don't think so. Don't think the gods know what love is either, probably. That would explain some things about Galerion. He doesn't know how he knows this, but he knows he must not say that out loud, right now. Okay, search complete. It's because Carissa doesn't need to go correct whatever he misunderstood about Galerion right now. Maybe that's not all of what he knew, but it's a large enough chunk to make sense. The first layer of advice out of Dath Elan, Keltham murmurs, would be that it doesn't matter whether you call it love or not. It only matters what it is. If you know what you're feeling, and the question is just whether to call that love, there isn't really a question there at all, because you already know everything that the answer could have told you. The question is, when I tell you how I'm feeling, have I given you a better understanding or a worse one? If I pick the wrong word, then you'll have the wrong idea. So we need the same one, at least. The second layer. Go down to the details that are smaller than the word, the things you saw that made you want to use the word, the perceptions that came before you tried to describe it to anyone else. Describe those perceptions. It will take much longer than using a word, but you'll have less of a problem of the same mouth sound, meaning different things to different people. That feels like mental work, of the kind she's maybe been told not to do. And half of what she's performing here for Keltham is that she is competent enough her preferences can be trusted, so... Mmm... I think I don't want to try that right now. Maybe in the morning. Unless it's an order. It is not an order. And that's fine. I wasn't trying to give you a problem to solve. I was. Being Keltham at you, being Dathilan at you, in case that was something that helped. And so you'd know that whatever internal puzzles you have, there'll be a way to solve them. Later. They won't just stick around being unanswerable. In the rest of Galarian, maybe. But not in my bedroom. Love you. I sure feel something for you that I've never felt for anyone before. But I, too... Don't feel like putting down all the mental work to describe it precisely right now. Kiss? Symmetrical mouth docking. And a while after that, I think I am up for sex, and I think it might actually be really nice and something special I can only get when I'm like this. But probably I should ask a priest, if that's even something you would want. A potential missed opportunity that is rare, 
This cannot be permitted. Sure. Let's ask. Should I go have somebody run a message to someone? Giggle. I guess so. The priestess in charge here is called High Priestess Subarox. I haven't met her and might need to talk to her for her to decide, but that would require getting out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. You are here, and it's so cozy. Well, I do need to be temporarily not in the bed, but it will be only temporary. Keltham rises up, reshirts himself, opens door, calls for security, please run a message to High Priestess Subba something from Keltham. Carissa Sever, who just got back from her tryst with the Queen, wants to talk to somebody about whether she's okay for sex. Consider this to be Keltham asking for the favor of her coming all the way down to his bedroom. To talk to Carissa, without Carissa having to walk around excessively moving and thinking. Carissa should feel incredibly embarrassed about that and very worried about the first impression she is leaving her new advisor in her descent into darkness. But instead of this, she doesn't. You're very good. You know what you should do, if you don't mind, is. You should come up with a description of what's different between fragile Carissa and normal Carissa, in case mine isn't very satisfactory once I am recovered and try to come up with one. Are you also giving me a small, adorable puzzle to keep my mind occupied and not talking to you by any chance? No. If you want to talk to me, you can talk to me. Just, I said that, and then I thought, I think normally I wouldn't say that, and then I decided not to try to notice all the differences. But you could if you wanted. I think the point of all this is that you get to figure out exactly how you like your Carissa and what to do to her to get that. I'll go take some notes then. In baseline, Keltham gets the scrapbook he's been using and brings it into bed. Note 1. Carissa seems a whole lot more capable of being happy, somehow. Hopefully this is something that doesn't wear off completely or takes a while to do so. Note 2. Fragile Carissa knows that she is fragile and not constantly proclaiming her invincibility, which wouldn't be a good look on her all the time. But it is nice to know that she has an internal sensor for it. And yes, fine, it's cute, Keltham will write that. Note 3. She's like a tiny, cute pet animal of some kind, which you wouldn't want to take care of always but might want to take care of on correspondingly rare occasions like this one. She is so curious, but she won't peek. You're allowed to know eventually. You just have to be in rough equilibrium before you see. I'm not going to go overwrite your self-model while it's unusually fragile and maybe also changing, if I guessed anything on here wrong. Yeah, that makes sense and sounds right. It's not what Abigail did at all. But then Abigail was trying to build Carissa a new way on purpose. Keltham doesn't know what he's doing and might build her a worse way accidentally, and is being appropriately cautious, given that. Maybe they can kiss some more until the priest gets here. Shinsubairox, Slavery and Pride, Yerwain. Knock, knock, quite gently. Answer, answer. Keltham is trying to ignore the very strong arrow larp character warning signals he's getting from how hot this priestess is, and that would be easier if Carissa hadn't just leveled from sex. Yes, Carissa is over there in the bed. You can tell which object Keltham's pointing to. It's the adorable one. This is probably more of a two-person talk than a three-person talk. Understood. Please note that Carissa is not to have sex without his approval. Does she really give off that vibe? Why trust what you can just as easily verify? Keltham departs. Carissa will stop being quite so flopped. High Priestess! Chosen of Asmodeus. 
You have permission to fall back down into the bed. Okay. Well, she'll take that. Flop. I have been advised that I am not able to judge my readiness for duty right now, by several people. I want to encourage Keltham to have sex with me, and I want to check whether that would be a bad idea. Or if there's some other reason to tell him it's a bad idea, I guess. Carissa Savar is, to an experienced eye, even more fragile than she looks to Keltham. To an Asmodean eye, it would be contemptible if you didn't know that this is what she is like only a few hours after finishing up a date with Abigail Thrun that took her to Fourth Circle. In fact, the Queen's brief said that the part that put Carissa up to Fourth Circle was just the foreplay, and Carissa's alignment aura is now noticeably slightly stronger than when that foreplay completed. And here she is using words and everything. So, her readiness for sexual operations? To Jacinth's eye, Carissa is being very honest, very vulnerable, looks very relaxed and happy, obviously has no reserves left to deal with anything going even slightly wrong, and is unlikely to be able to run much in the way of deceptions on Keltham. Jacinth could probably break Carissa with a few words right now, or simply by ceasing to guard her own words much, if Jacinth felt like simultaneously pissing off Abigail Thrun for ruining her latest masterpiece while it was recovering into its new shape, and also pissing off Aspexia Rugaton, and also pissing off Asmodeus. If Carissa were at all considering having normal sex with a normal person, the answer would clearly be no. And then Carissa would need to be given something else to occupy herself to prevent her from becoming bored and then trying to put herself back together faster or in interesting new ways. I estimate it will probably be safe for you with Keltham, Jacinth says, and safe for him spiritually, if I instruct him to back off or stop if you seem to be in increasing distress and make it clear that he is to consider that advice from myself, that he should indeed follow rather than being a request from you that he is to refer back to only his own desires. You will not be able to deceive him about much, if anything. But he has already been instructed not to pester you with questions, and to back off there as well. Yes, he's been good about that, and I will tell him I'm not ready, and probably burst into tears if he starts being pushy. She makes a little bit of a face about her own patheticness. It would be a lovely thing to see, but he is not ready, and this is not the time for it either. Nod. Thank you. I'll come see you tomorrow, probably, to discuss more. As Asmodeus wills, literally and specifically wills, in this case, since that was your decision. Jacinth departs. Upshot. Yes, but back off if Carissa seems to be in increasing distress. That's not a request from Carissa that you should refer back to your own will and wants. That's advice from me. Which you should ignore only if you have decided to break your possession. For which this would also be not a good time if you wanted that to have pleasing results later. You could have just said, uh, never mind. Understood. Pain. Probably in very small amounts by her standards. Good. Neutral. Bad. Neutral. For her in those very small amounts. I suppose positive if you are enjoying yourself in it, and she knows that. K. 
Keltham is not quite sure what to feel about that neutral thing, but thanks her and goes in to rejoin his Carissa. Hey, did she say yes? She said she was going to say yes. She did. Keltham is currently more curious than aroused, but this is not hard for somebody as pretty and vulnerable-looking as Carissa to fix if she is being proactive. Is she being proactive? She'll pause a bit to see if he's going to be, but if not, then yes, she will. She will drape herself on him and pet him and make small, delighted noises about absolutely everything. That'll get him revved in short order. He didn't know that level of sexy adorable was even possible. Everything about Carissa is brighter, somehow, than she seems usually was before. Rather, hopefully. Very small amount of pain to see what happens, at some point when he feels like that. Gets a much stronger reaction than normal, but not necessarily in a bad way. She clings and looks up at him as if she feels totally powerless in his arms. Oh. He didn't know he needed that so much. He hopes that there's still some way to get this reaction tomorrow. He'll try letting himself go a little now, to do those things he feels like doing, himself, and see what comes of that. He will not be unwatchful for distress, and increasing distress. Nope. She's okay. She wouldn't be okay if he did any of a hundred normal things you do to a girl you're fucking and don't really care about, but he doesn't do any of those. Because he doesn't feel like parsing out what love is precisely, but he feels something for her he's never felt for anyone before. And he doesn't even know to think she's pathetic, just to think she's his. When they're done, she does start crying, for completely mysterious reasons that don't correspond to her mood at all. Recognizable substantial base rate gender trope. Keltham is fine with it. He will pet her hair, unconscious of any particular new associations this might have for her. His hands, at least, don't feel much like Abigail's. So, uh, world wound problem? It's not necessary to have solved right now. Not at all. Keltham learned that lesson rather early on but you have to hand back your Daithilani boyfriend card if you don't at least wonder about any current outstanding problems. He's very not like Abigail. If she succeeds in making him into Abigail, then, well, then she'll have risen high in the esteem of Asmodeus, who can break and remake her on a scale Abigail can only dream of. So, nothing to do but keep winning. World wound problem has not mysteriously vanished. Maybe if Abigail had been focusing on that. Dothilan does ever try to shape people. Carissa Sivar, they just do it differently. Not so differently that they never recognize petting somebody's hair as part of it. You're going to hate this. Guards, take this bearer of bad news away and feed him to the crocodiles. There aren't guards. They're in his private study. Cake girl showed up. Yeah. So, team shows up gets a room, wards the room, baby's born, all of that goes totally smoothly. Four minutes after the baby's born, there's a knock on the door, and a chalish wizard woman carrying a cake waltzes in and says, Congratulations! Dimension anchored. Mind blanked. The team had as a precaution barely been briefed and correctly decided the thing to do was to get the fuck out as fast as possible. Only she counterspells the teleport and says, No. Stay. Celebrate. Aren't they actively in the middle of a war with Nidal, with virtually all their high-level casters at the front? I mean, they've got some at the palace, one of whom saw fit to deliver cake. She insisted they eat it. It was not poisoned. It was reportedly delicious. I have a sample. 
It's not magical. It is not magical. And not poisoned. Not poisoned. If you put slices of it out on a dessert table with a bunch of other cakes, do people disproportionately take it? Are the ones who take it any different from the ones who don't? Are they any different an hour later? I'm not bringing it anywhere near the palace, but we'll see if we can test it in Alexandria, where the cake sample presently is. And I can ask Nefreti, though it might be wiser not to. Indeed, what could they have gotten off as? What did the team go in knowing? Very large bounty from a reputable broker for an immediate trip to Cheliak's. Estimated 95%, likely to be uneventful. Book a room, lock and ward the room, wait for a sending about a newborn baby, wait two hours more, leave. If and only if a girl inexplicably appears in the room offering congratulations and cake, plane shift out instead of teleporting, with the girl, to a demi-plane the broker handed out the key for. By far the primary thing they learned is that we know about Cake Girl. We didn't lose physical custody of the plane shift key, and it's a temporary demi-plane anyway. And they didn't, you know, take them all down, learn that, send them to hell, because... Because Cheliax is taking a new, cake-based angle on conquest. Or maybe because it was all done with scrolls and items and they were bluffing. Or maybe because Project Lawful Powers can't be used against us. Or maybe because... Look, do you realize how many things I now give substantial credence? What things do you now give substantial credence? Queen Abrogale Thrun is one of the Project Lawful girls. Queen Abrogale Thrun is negotiating with Project Lawful for use of their girls. Everyone in the Chelish hierarchy waits on Carissa Sivar. Carissa Siva won favor in the court by inventing a magic weapon that stole all Nidal's diamonds. Asmodeus is working with Irori. Asmodeus is working with Yomedai. Asmodeus is working with Caden Kalian. Project Lawful turns you into a girl. Project Lawful makes you sexually attractive to Asmodeus's specific sensibilities, and he prefers women. That is not how gods work. You're taking the under on that one? I have it at 5%. He bites his lip. Yes. But you thought about it, because if I say 20 things that ridiculous... I'm not betting against any of the others. What else? A girl on Project Lawful is the neutral evil herald of Nethys, Takaral. A girl on Project Lawful killed the neutral evil herald of Nethys, Takaral. Project Lawful caused the God War. The librarian on Project Lawful is cursed to never leave her library. And that is not how curses work. Well, there's the Oracle of Opara. Yes, I'm sure Asmodeus oracled one of his Project Lawful girls with a curse that leaves them tied to their library. That seems like the sort of thing Asmodeus, notorious respecter of the sanctity of books and libraries, would do. I also have, uh, the ultimate aim of Project Lawful is to write a romance novel that will cause all women worldwide to fall in love with Asmodeus and convert for him. I'll take the under on that too. Why only the women? Men don't read romance novels. Huh, do they not? I think in countries where a lot of women are literate, it's a pronounced skew. Is this really important? I don't know. I have no idea what's important. Maybe the romance novels are the key to the whole thing. What are Chelish romance novels like? They're state-issued, so not very good. Centralization of entertainment media produces stories that people like to think lesser people read. I think I haven't actually read any. 
Right. Okay, thank you, Merendre. Let me know if anything else pops out when you shift all the numbers around. Your Highness. And he stands and takes his beads away very tiredly. Do they seriously mean to tell her that nobody thought of inviting her to that? PL Log, Sub-Event 3 of PL Incident Bargaining With Chaos Time, Day 4, Evening Location, Igorian, Imperial Palace, Food Preparation Area Notes, PL Subject Hash 3 is outside Otolman's Containment Zone while event occurs Paladins can't experience fear Otherwise, it'd be much harder to operate in Chiliacs It is, to be clear, generally not worth it Paladins can't experience fear, but they can experience eternal torture, and Chiliax delights in sending them onto it. There are places where more good can be done at a lower cost, but in the end, Chiliax is going to need to be overthrown, and you have to be in Chiliax to see the fractures when they start and can be encouraged in spreading. Plus, sometimes something really unexpected happens, and you need to have people who can act quickly. Andreo Basols, not his birth name, has been living in Igorian for two years, having moved from a small farming village when his parents died, and it didn't seem worth keeping up the farm alone. He loads and unloads river barges. He's a strong man, built for hard labor. He has, beneath the skin on his neck, and separately beneath the skin on his thigh, two minor magic items, which conceal an aura that would otherwise radiate from him and betray him. Either would be sufficient, but it's a new experimental type of magic item and either could fail, so it's better to have both. He reads as having seven intelligence. His thoughts, when read, are slow and uninteresting. This is the greatest sacrifice, aside from the possible eternity of damnation. The effect could not be manufactured. It had to be induced, for real. He can lift it when he puts his healing to that purpose, but it's risky, so he does it rarely. He did it this morning. Knelt in the cellar he sleeps in, the walls and ceiling too thick for detect thoughts, and healed himself, and read an encoded report delivered on a river barge, and broke down the plan into steps he would still, later, understand. It's afternoon now, and he is pushing a wheelbarrow of potatoes into the kitchens of the palace in Igorian. Someone hands him a cookie. You did really well, the woman says gently. You worked really hard. You deserve a cookie. But now you need to get out of Cheliax. It's okay. Someone else will handle things from here. Why is her curse insisting that she act like this? Fucking abyss. Oh. That wasn't in the plan. I have a delivery, the man says, smiling at her in a friendly sort of way, but proceeding in the same direction he was headed in. Okay, no. Pilar is not standing around cooing at this suicidal idiot. That's a step too far. Message. You have a death sentence involving a malediction, Paladin. Seriously, get out of here. He turns around and squints at her, blinks. I'm sorry, lovely, did you say something? My hearing's going off. There's too many people around. You know, Pilar's just going to grab this guy by the hand and pull him someplace slightly more deserted. He doesn't object to this. He touches his hand to his chest when they're alone, and the look in his eyes changes. Who are you, and what do you want? Aura sight on me. You are evil, child, but the impulsive guess of the gods is not their final judgment, and they see the future not at all. And then he keeps squinting and frowns. You are also good and lawful and chaotic. What do you want? Lawful evil's a disguise. 
Chaotic good's the real one. It's stronger if you look closely, now that I'm not hiding it. I want you out of Cheliax. It is stronger, he agrees. This is a dangerous place for a conversation. Were you able to choose no other? It's safer than it looks. Look, just go. Get out of Cheliax. I'm obviously on your side, given that you're not dead and damned already. It is not obvious to me that you're on my side. It's not obvious what you think my side even is. I don't take revised orders from anyone who glows right. Has my cover been compromised? One of the deadliest Project Lawful girls, Paxty, is making a sweep of the palace. The girls you've heard of are the ones where not everyone who saw them is dead. You would not have been able to evade Paxty like that, and you still can't evade her now. You don't have that long. Go. How would she find me? Is it only the palace they're sweeping? Do you need a ride out of the country? Project lawful bullshit that I doubt they actually understand any better than you do? I don't know. No, because Milani bullshit. What do you know about Project Lawful? Something like a hundred and fifty things of which at most thirty can be true. Strong guesses. The Archduke's villa that Nadal attacked was actually a decoy. One of the girls did, in fact, take a round trip to Elysium and back. The project is faking a move elsewhere, but remains inside the Imperial Palace, where it's been from the beginning. Whatever it is only works to empower women. If you're still here in one minute, I'm walking away. Milani bullshit or not, I cannot just hang around here next to you waiting for Project Lawful to catch up with you. If they're sweeping the palace, and maybe surrounding areas, why tell me to leave the country? Because Project Lawful is bullshit, and the last person I told to just leave Agorian got executed and maledicted. But not right away. They can see where you've been, maybe, but not follow fast. Look. Is this mission one that I can just complete? They can't find me, but they can find you. Come with me to my wheelbarrow. Sure thing. Pilar Pineda has now met exactly one paladin in person, and she already hates their entire species with a burning passion. She is having to crush down a tiny thread of appreciation for how her curse is actually less stupid good than this. Who was the last one? He asks while they walk. According to him, ECR de Osorio. I doubt it was his real name. I thought I had no need to know since he was getting out. I didn't press him on it, and part of me is glad that now I don't have the ability and hence responsibility to tell his family how he died. Our families know how we'll die. He reaches the wheelbarrow, pulls out a canteen, hands it to her. Spread it on the walls in a well-trafficked area. Thin enough it'll dry fast. It's detectable while it's drying. I intended to do the kitchens, but if you have the run of the place... It should avoid detection anywhere that doesn't have anti-scrying wards. You won't know if it worked, but we will. I am grateful. Realize your aims. And off he goes. Her curse had better not expect her to actually do this. Her curse is not that stupid. Well, good for it. Is Pilar kindly allowed to hand this stuff in for analysis? Uh, sure. Pilar admits to being surprised. Pilar has been nice to her curse, and now her curse is being nice to her. Guy with his wheelbarrow leaves the grounds. The wheelbarrow is still full of potatoes, which he's confused by. Did he miss a step? No, he changed plans. He should get somewhere quiet and figure out what the plan is now. Pilar hands the canteen in for analysis. Whoever's in charge of putting out this kind of fake story, the canteen was taken off the body of an agent of Milani who looked like Pilar currently looks. 
The Milani agent was surprised trying to use the canteen and got interrogated, executed, and mailed, was hunted by Paxty, but managed to suicide before being maledicted. Is her curse ever going to stop whining about every little thing? Trying to make somebody believe that they got a friend maledicted is mean. If Pilar stops trying to use her curse to be mean, her curse will stop whining about it. Being mean to paladins doesn't count. It always counts for everyone everywhere. Paladins are first and foremost people, even if a lot of paladins forget that themselves. Pilar knows this already and doesn't want her curse reminding her of it. And that is why Pilar is angry and trying to go out of her way to be mean. Actually, Pilar just had a really fucking disturbing thought, and she's ashamed of herself as an Asmodean for not thinking of it a lot earlier. Her curse wouldn't, possibly, maybe, have just humorously tricked her into saving a paladin who was actually going to get caught and maledicted, would it? Pilar will not be used against her lord Asmodeus, to whom she is truly and incredibly undeservedly loyal. It has not escaped Pilar's notice that her curse has not answered her question. From this, it would then follow, for example, that if this paladin had hypothetically been due to get caught and maledicted, he would have first succeeded in his mission and would have gone to hell never saying what he'd done, leaving Chelish security unaware of it. If Yomade wants that exchange to be made, Asmodeus presumably wants it not to be made. And therefore, in a case like that, hypothetically speaking, Pilar would have well served her lord. But chaotic good is also fine with that exchange not being made, huh? Apparently so! If there's one thing that chaotic good and lawful evil can team up to fight, it's lawful good. Bullshit. Chaotic good and lawful evil may find paladins annoying for very different reasons, but they can sure agree that paladins are annoying. The World Wound Project shows that lawful evil and chaotic good have no trouble teaming up to fight chaotic evil. Why wouldn't it be the same for teaming up to fight lawful good? If Pilar's curse isn't just messing with her about this, how would her curse feel about rounding up every single last wall spy targeting the Imperial Palace and sending them home unharmed to their families where cute sons and daughters no doubt await them, wondering whether their missing parent will ever come home to them or if they'll hear about their maledictions instead? They will be so relieved and happy to know that their parents' nightmarishly dangerous missions are over. Her curse should be very cheerful to go along with this, right? Oh, well, that might cause the Chelish government to go around committing more nefarious evil deeds than they would have otherwise, both because Lastwall wouldn't stop them and because Cheliacs would know Lastwall couldn't stop them so they'd try even more nefarious plots. No true chaotic good curse could approve such a thing. Pilar's curse could, of course, be swayed about this. If it happened to be true that rounding up all the last wall spies would make something else happen, so that the whole thing wouldn't then be a net loss for chaotic good. Would anyone like to make Pilar's curse an offer? Another hour, another call to the Grand High Priestess. I think I'm ready to do lie authorizations, Carissa tells Mayal, unless you judge otherwise. She looks slightly better, like a stiff breeze could still blow her over, but she'd get back up. Eyeballing you, you might be ready for on-call authorizations on lies, but you're not ready to accept Project Handoff. I guess that's good enough if we want to bring the others back tonight. Pilar may arrive a little later. She's on loan to Crown Security for urgent, undisclosed reasons, and we may need some lie ready to cover that. Actually, Mayol knows exactly what those reasons are, but Sevar does not get to hear about Project Lawful bullshit of that order until she's more recovered. 
Mayol hopes very strongly that Sevar is ready to accept that handoff before dawn tomorrow. It hasn't escaped Mayol's notice that, although today there were no massive project disasters per se, yet the person who started out as project director of Project Lawful was kidnapped and extensively tortured by Abigail Thrun. Mayol is not sure whether Farazma's curse is following the title or the acting authority, and in the latter case he wants to give it back to Saver ASAP. More importantly, Saver, are you sufficiently able to monitor and respond to emergency Keltham events that the Grand High Priestess can leave the site area? I believe so. It might not be maximally convenient for my recovery if something major comes up, but I think I'm in condition to handle it. This will, unfortunately, free up Aspexia Rugaton to attend a meeting she is frankly not looking forward to at all, to brainstorm what Cheliacs can do that will make Caden Kalian most happy at minimal expense to Asmodeus. Aspexia Rugaton will trouble herself to first stop in at the project office, now in a fake Asmodean temple with no torture chamber, just in case Keltham asks why he is not allowed to visit the admin areas, and take a quick look at Savar. Does it look like Aspexia needs to have an angry and probably violent conversation with Abigail? Carissa Savar is talking over lies for Asmodia and Ione with Mylol. She looks younger in a weird way than she did yesterday, not that a chelish 16-year-old would ever show this much vulnerability on their face, but it'd look less out of place on a 16-year-old. She does not look strikingly conflicted or strikingly flinchy. She's very attached to her dagger. She nods to the Grand High Priestess with a private smile. Probably it will not amuse the Queen to tell the Grand High Priestess how upset Carissa was that she was dead. It's fairly pathetic. A gesture and my Ayal no longer hears them. The Queen has, in fact, submitted a report on your adventure. It is not a priority for you to do anything about this, Savar, especially not today, but be it known to you, loyalty to myself and my purpose in my office is acceptable. Attachment to the point that you then blunder into Keltham's room being visibly distressed about a woman you should hardly know is weakness not terribly Asmodean, and not something I think we should be inculcating in the new lawful evil. The Queen suggested that this problem should be fixed by having you torture me to death once per day for a few weeks, and while I believe she had ulterior motives in this suggestion, it was not entirely inappropriate as a solution, ignoring its costs. That wasn't why, Most High. Keltham wouldn't have assumed any special attachment to you for me to to be distressed at your true death, especially as he knows it's what I fear most for myself. It is part of what he's allowed to know, that we spoke when you came to lay the first forbiddance, though at the time I only told him I'd talked to a very important person. But I think if I stumbled in on him broken up about the true death of someone I'd only once been in the room with, he'd consider that reasonable and decide that he would have to fix it for me. It seemed like the best possible grounds on which to ignore his stated wish that no one interrupt him while he was thinking, and I was very worried about what would happen if he went on thinking. Keltham is constantly reminding himself that death in Galerion isn't real and isn't costly. He hasn't lost any of his Dathilani convictions about the horror of true death. 
and I happen to share them. Or, I mean, he does have some kind of weird theory based on his own true death not being such, but then he'd have started trying to convince me of that. I promise I'd have done the same thing if I'd learned any other mildly notable figure I'd previously mentioned meeting had been terrifyingly destroyed at the front. It was just the most convenient way to get in the room. Aspexia does not, in fact, believe Savar about this. Oh, she's surely being honest. Truthful is another matter. But she cannot push any further on this point without risking disturbing Abrogale's careful pattern of shatterings and fractures while it heals into a new form. Do not wantonly strain yourself even tomorrow, Aspexia warns. A tryst with Abrogale Thrun is not an ordinary torture session and cannot be treated as such. And she departs. Were those the kind of sentences you'd report wrong thought about, if you were a good Dothilani? Maybe, if it seems wise to explain this to Keltum ever, she'll ask how he would have reacted if interrupted by a Carissa, distressed at the news that the grandmotherly woman who'd smiled at them had been destroyed. If it was an error, it was definitely an error even at the time, though, rather than a justification invented now. This must be the proper version of the complaint that that hated security had been ranting about in her ear at the time, which failed to land because she couldn't even understand what he understood her to be doing, and because she'd felt that he had no idea how Keltham worked and should shut up, except they'd controlled Keltham, so he'd reacted as they'd understood him. But it's some evidence about whether what she just said to the Grand High Priestess was a wrong thought. When accused of having unstrategically let her emotions guide her into stupidly revealing something to Keltham, she'd been purely and entirely confused, because the interaction she understood herself to be having was perfectly accurate to new Cheliacs. If there was an error, it was in her understanding. Would Keltham, primed to greater suspicion by a warning from Abadar, see suspicion even in something genuinely unsurprising, like Carissa being sad about the death of an important figure in her religion who she'd only spoken to at length once? It's objectively not suspicious in New Cheliacs, but would he have found it so? Maybe. It's hard to be suspicious only of the exactly correct things. And if Keltham is going to be suspicious of everything, then maybe it's not enough to do things you'd do in New Cheliacs. Maybe you'd have to only do things that'd parse to him as having absolutely no suspicious traits. Except then, that's obviously manipulated. To my all, Carissa appears to be staring off into the middle distance, frowning for a long time after the Grand High Priestess departs. You look like somebody thinking too hard. If you're not ready to go to sleep, get a book. Director. It is in his own best interest that Savar get back together quickly. Is that the degree of professionalism with which I served you? But you're probably right. All right. Ione may lie about how big a problem it would generally be for someone to be chosen of Nethys, and about how rare oracles are, because if she's claiming she was one before she joined the project, they can't be that weird without Keltham concluding tropes are afoot. We get into a mess if we try to lie about how the entire death and sorting system works, so Asmodia should tell the truth that she's sold her soul, 
but voluntarily, on her graduation and before joining the project, because she's really good at math and wanted to secure an academic role in hell if she got herself gobbled up right away at the world wound. Asmodaya is authorized to lie about literally everything about hell. That's not also true of Axis. She might not know what that is, but you can tell her. Lie about Pilar is that a bunch of researchers are fascinated by whatever is going on with her and have begged her to stay a little bit, since we're not going to be able to pretend she's not incredibly weird. Acknowledge, Director. Off Carissa trots to bed. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.